Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are a recording of our Sunday morning meetings. We pray that these will be a blessing to you. So please, enjoy listening. If you want to know more, please contact us at office at livingstoneschurch.co.uk. Good morning, church. Please do take your seats. Good morning, guys. <laughs> Um, I also want to say good morning to people listening on the podcast. I promised Corinne I would say, hello, Corinne. So everyone say, hello, Corinne. Corinne. Excellent. And Shirley too. Hello, Shirley. And anyone else who is listening this morning. Um, You are very welcome to be with us. I want to open this morning by reading from Psalm 63. As I was praying earlier, I just had a sense of just how desperate and how much I'm longing to hear God this morning. Sometimes we just have this sense within us that we just long for him for something from God and it's just such a physical feeling almost Um, Psalm 63 says this oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you my soul thirsts for you my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the rich boots. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Amen. Father God, we long for you this morning. We long to hear your voice. We long to praise you and to know what's in your heart. Please bless us this morning as we come before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Mandy's going to lead us in a time of worship before we go through our family time and um, move into uh, Martin speaking to us a little bit later on. So I will ask Mandy to come and lead our worship. Oh, you probably can't see my feet, but they're flip-flopped. That means it's nearly summer. It's always hopeful. Always hopeful when you get the flip-flops out. Just hope I can stay on the pedal. I've probably chosen two or three or four songs that you might not know, so you're gonna you're gonna have a lovely, lovely banquet of new songs. So let's stand. as I was looking in the Bible this morning for some encouragement for us and I was looking at all the scriptures about righteousness and holiness but actually it was this one that really spoke to me it's from Isaiah 66 thus says the Lord heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest for all those things my hand has made And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And I just love the way that we've got the greatness of God and us in the same verses. And yes, he is holy. And yes, he is righteous. And yes, he is so worthy. But he chooses to honor us and deliver us and to live with us, to be in our hearts. And Lord, I thank you for that today.
just to feel that God wants to give like a heavenly download is the only way I can say it. For us to know that truth that's just been prayed, that we've just sung about, that we're just praising God about, that grace, just what the world needs to hear, doesn't want to hear. But Father, my prayer is that this week we will be that message to others. We will extend grace to those who are broken, Father, to those who are rebellious, Father, to those who are antagonistic, Father, those who are difficult, Father. We, we extend grace, Father, because you extend it to us. You hold in your hands to us and we hold our hands up to you. Okay, family time. It's lions in the Bible today. We're doing animals, aren't we? And today it's a lion. Okay, so wherever you are, just sort of associate yourself with a table. All right, we're going to ask you one thing about a lion that comes to you. What? What? Think about something, and I want... As many, if, if we're 10 tables, I want 10 different things. So get yours in quickly so that you don't scratch your heads later to know what of a new thing to think of. All right? All right, you got something? Something about a lion or lions. All right, this one's got, come on, hands up. It's in. Roar, the roar of a lion. Yes, great. Scary lion. Yes. King of the jungle. They eat meat. Fierce. Fierce. I'll come to you. Yeah. I didn't catch that. One, one, like the male, that's like the big, big boss man. Yes. The Lion King. You're thinking of the film. Luke. Females do the hunting. <laughs> we can, yes. Petrifying. They've got hair. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's wonderful mane. Yeah, right. Uh, didn't get anything from this table. They live in Africa. That's right. Brilliant. Okay. Now, next one. Similar thing. Get in. Lions in the Bible. I, count, I counted up, I didn't count up, I looked at Mike and Corners and counted up. 147 references to lions in the Bible. <laughs> so, uh, right, lions in the Bible, who can think of one? The Lion of Judah, right, and who, who is the Lion of Judah? Christ, Jesus, yes. Daniel in the lion's den. Yes, yes, honey in the line, yes. Yeah, Tate and Lyles. Right, yeah. The lion and the lamb, which is connected with the lion of Judah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> He's run out already. <laughs> well, 
Okay, so um, David. Da David fought a lion, didn't he? And a bear. Yes. Um, Satan is described as a lion. Okay. Now, if you, if you look through the scriptures, you will find that uh, there are these many, many, many references to lions, and they're usually rather scary. I learned that apparently lions uh, were common in Israel and that area uh, right up to the Crusades. I don't know why the Crusades, what, whether they went on a campaign to exterminate them or, or whatever, but lions in that area have, have been common. And the thing that people feared most of all was they would lie in wait. So you'd be going along the road and then a lion would leap out and maul you. Um, there was one poor prophet that was... Uh, one of the stories in the Bible. One poor prophet was walking along the road and it had been prophesied that a lion would eat him, and it did. And then the lions... Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> um, so lions were fearsome, terrifying. All those words that you used earlier uh, could take you by surprise um, and overpowering they, they, you know to to actually fight and beat a lion was really really quite something so how surprising is it and this we're going to home in on uh the one that that carl mentioned just then we're just going to home in on the one that's mentioned in the bible about jesus and he is called the lion of Judah. And if you've got your Bible, you can find it. It's in the book of Revelation. And I'd like someone to just read it out for us. Oh, you're pointing to Dad. Oh, no, no. If you, point, if you volunteer someone else, you get to do it. <laughs> right, okay. Who have we got? Go on then, Jess. You're well done. Thank you. Then I... Then one of the then one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep. See, the line of tribe of Judah, at the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seas, seals." Then I saw then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of a throne, encircled by four living creatures. In the elders, the lamb had the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Sent out in all of the earth. He went into oh, yes. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Because it then goes on. Uh, uh, we heard about the lion and the lamb, didn't we? And it's, isn't it amazing how two totally contrasting animals, both of them, describe Jesus? Okay, to help us understand something about the Lion of Judah. I thought there's no better place to go than Narnia. Well, that's our Jesus too. I thought, I think C.S. Lewis has captured something of who Jesus is just so wonderfully. It's amazing. I mean, who can stand for Jesus? 
Well, we can, because he's the lion that's full of grace. And he's the one that actually, as the story in Narnia goes on, lays down his life for rebels and sinners like us. How amazing is that? Just to finish, because lions and lambs seem like opposites, don't they? And I just thought, just really, uh, for your interest, if I can find it. Someone said, lions eat meat. Well, they weren't originally created to do that. They were originally created vegetarian. And you'd think, what, a lion vegetarian? Well, the pictures are not brilliant, but this is... Let me introduce you to Little Tyke. Little Tyke was a lioness who was born and brought up in America just after the war. And she steadfastly refused to eat meat. I don't know if you can see it there. She's being offered meat and she's refusing it. And she lived a full and healthy life for her full life, nearly 10 years, purely on vegetarian matter. They were really, really worried. They tried every which way to get her to eat meat because she thought she needed it and she refused it. And um, there we are, the lion and the lamb together. <laughs> and uh, it just reminds us of that great promise. So people ask the question, will there be animals in heaven? And the answer is, well, possibly there are creatures in heaven, yes. But certainly there will be animals in the new earth. And they will be at peace together. And it says in, in Isaiah 11, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. And not only in the age to come, even now, lions can be vegetarian. So there you are. That's a little interesting thought at the end. Thank you. I'm going to ask the children to come and give their collection. And I would like to, if Thomas is still interested in, he's done something a little bit special um, to do with our uh, giving, our children's giving, and I wonder if he can perhaps come and explain what's, what he's been up to. Shall I interview you? Okay, Thomas, what do you have in your hands? Money. And where did this money come from? I did a shop. You did a shop, so um, on Bank Holiday Monday, we had a coronation party didn't we, in our street, and you set up a shop. What were you selling in your shop? Old toys that I didn't want anymore. And how much money did you raise? £12.42. Pence. So I guess with £12.42, pence, you can buy yourself some really fabulous toys, right? Is that what you're going to do with the money? What are you going to do with the money? Are you going to put it in the collection box for the three children that we support? Yeah. I'll Thank you, Thomas. And look, I've got the collection box behind me. I've had to take the lid off because you've got so much money in there. We'll be here forever otherwise. So do you want to tip it in? And just to explain, this money goes to support these young people up here 
who we have supported for quite a long time, a number of years, um, through their education and through their lives. And it's a real honour to do so. Brilliant, Thomas. Well done. Good job. Do you want to hold the tin for me as well for the others? So any other children, if you've got anything you'd like to pop in, that's now's the time. Thank you, Amelia. Brilliant. And I'll also pass around the adults collection at the same time. Please don't feel obliged to contribute if you're a visitor today. <laughs> you don't want it. All right, I'll pass it to Mary. Pass it to your mum then. And I'll just pray for our young people before they go as well. Dear Lord, thank you for our young people. Thank you that they are such generous hearts. Um, and their kindness and their thoughtfulness, Lord. We pray that you would be with them today as they learn more about you from Justin. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do take a five-minute break, top up your drinks, and we'll come back for some notices. Right, please take your seats, Shannon. <laughs> Where are you going? She's got, okay, <laughs> thanks, Bobby. <laughs> Just a few notices before Martin comes up. I've written half of this in very funny writing. I can't read it. Um, just to say, Thy Kingdom Come is on the 21st of May. And just to reiterate, please don't come here on the 21st of May. There will be nobody here. Please do go to the bandstand. And um, I would say get there early. It starts at 10.30, but there is limited seating. So if you want to get a seat, get there a little bit earlier than 10.30. Um, if the weather's bad, then the service is heading to King's Church. Yeah, the forecast is good, isn't it? So hopefully it will be a, an outside event. Right. Oh, and Ellie's uh, doing school choir. Her school choir is performing, so <laughs> I need to go along and see Ellie. <laughs> right. I'm going to just ask, uh, on behalf of Justin, School's Out is coming uh, in the half-term break. I don't know what the dates are. Right. Yes. Okay. So just in a few weeks, in the half-term holiday. Okay. Thank you. 30th. Right. We got there. Thank you. Um, Justin needs dead AA batteries. I have no idea what for. And he needs people. So if you are either a person or have a dead AA battery or two, then Justin could use you in that way. Um, just to say, also, church camp is, is underway. So do look out for some forms, which will be with you very soon. And I'm just going to ask um, Rich just to come up, because he is doing something quite extraordinary, and I'm going to ask him to share what it is. Good morning, everyone. Um, I am going to cycle 150 miles in a day to, I'm glad you said, ooh. <laughs> I wondered if anyone would go, what, that's easy. Um, yeah, you might, I, I do love cycling and I can cycle um, quite a long way, but um, yeah, this is gonna be a bit of a stretch. Um, and I'm going to do it to help raise money for Corinne. Um, who hopefully um, most of you know, and uh, you'll have an idea of some of the challenges that Corinne faces. Um, one of them is that she struggles with fibromyalgia. Um, so uh, uh, there is a pledge sheet here 
there is a just giving page which was on the email newsletter that went round. So um, please don't feel obliged, but um, I would love it if you could sponsor me to do that. I'm um, going to be doing it uh, hopefully on the 20th of June. Um, the reason being we're going to need a lot of daylight hours because it's going to um, take a long time to do. Uh, we're going to be doing it with Alex Hayward, who some of you may have met at camp last year. So, yeah, if you could sponsor me, if you could sponsor me and Alex, that would be greatly appreciated. And we hand this round now. Yeah. However much you want to, and please don't feel obliged. Thank you. Sorry, the, can the Canty Way, um, the clue is in the name, uh, Canty being Canterbury, it is a, uh, a route um, around um, that part of England, so um, around Kent. Um, it is about 150 miles. I think the route that we're doing is exactly 150 miles. Um, some of it's on road, some of it isn't. Um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. Um, hopefully it's not going to be horrendous. Um, but yeah, be a a challenge, um, and hopefully we can uh, help Corin by doing it. Thanks, Rich. Um, just on that note as well, Joe is collecting for a tombola, so if you have any stuff that you would like to donate, chocolates, wine, that kind of thing, there'll be a box downstairs at some point, and um, if you could leave them there little bits and pieces, we would appreciate that, and that will uh, take place at a farmer's market to be announced. Finally... Church lunch. If you would like to stay for lunch today, you are very welcome. We're having our usual soup and things. <laughs> so that's great. I um, I think that's all the notices, unless anyone else has anything that they want yeah, to... Don't worry, Shannon. Um, we're all over it. We've got it. We're it's, it's under... It's under <laughs> and, sorry? <laughs> Heckling. I'm going to ask Martin to come up now. Dear Lord, I pray for Martin. I thank you for his dedication and his research and the time that he spent. Lord, it's just been great hours and we know that he's going to pour it back into us now. Father, would you speak through him and uh, share something of your heart with us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Great. So you will need a Bible. They're sitting there in front of you. You haven't brought your own. And we'll be looking today. We're going into Hebrews again. Diving in, we're about halfway there, just a little bit, just a little bit over. Chapter eight is our passage today. <clears throat> now, I trust you're becoming familiar with the situation that the writer to the Hebrews is addressing. Uh, we don't know who the writer is. We don't know who the people he's writing to is, and we don't know where they live. But we do know that they are a beleaguered Jewish Christian community. My, my personal guess is that they live in or around Jerusalem. Um, but they are being sorely, sorely pressurised and tempted to going back to the old, familiar religion of the Jews that goes all the way back to Moses. And they are sort of tempted to 
leave Jesus and go back to Moses. And the writer is writing to them to encourage them to say, no, 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 don't go back to the old ways. Jesus is pointing us forward to the new way that lies ahead. And his main line of persuasion is to declare that though these patterns of Old Testament worship, which appear so magnificent, are absolutely nothing when compared with the excellence of Christ. They had their purpose. They were right for their time. But now, something far greater and better is here. And to help us understand, the writer uses an illustration. He talks about shadows. Now, I just want you to imagine for a moment. I mean, this is a bit of a stupid illustration, but hopefully it'll get across what the writer is trying to say. Imagine you're going to the airport or, or to, to the station and you're going to greet some long-lost friend or family member, someone you haven't seen for ages. And they've arrived and you see them there in the distance. And just imagine the sun setting low in the sky, but nice and bright. And they're standing there near a wall. And they spot you, you spy them, and they reach out their arms wide like this in welcome. And you do the same. And you know, like they do in this slow motion films. <laughs> you go to greet one another. Except Except, except they're standing here and you're running up towards them. And as you go towards them, you run right past them and you try to embrace the shadow on the wall. It's like, how stupid is that? Now, this is what the writer to the Hebrews is saying to them. He's saying, that's just what you're doing. These things that you're so tempted to go back to venerating and following are mere shadows of the real thing. Or should we say the real person that is Christ? Don't embrace the shadow. Embrace the person. Now, there are four shadows from what we call the Old Testament. Four shadows that the writer highlights. First, there was the old Levitical priesthood. The line of priests descended from Levi 
The first great high priest was Aaron, and then it was passed on down the family line. And every time the high priest died, a new high priest was appointed. And this high priest was amazing. Uh, the writer is saying this is not that the, the, the new priesthood is not a priest descended from Levi. Jesus is a far greater high priest. And we've looked, haven't we, at chapters 5 and, and, and chapter 7. He says this greater high priest is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, a far superior line of priesthood. And Jesus is just like that. And uh, <clears throat> so don't go back to the old priesthood. It's a shadow. Then he says, secondly, the temple or the, its forerunner, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was constructed under Moses and, and later the temple was built as a copy of it. But they, in turn, were only copies of the real heavenly tabernacle. The writer's saying the, when, when Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle, he was instructed to, con, uh, to make it just like, the, uh, according to the pattern of the one that he had seen, had been shown in heaven. And so the one on the earth was only a copy of the real temple or tabernacle that is in heaven. Question? Is this tabernacle or temple, this heavenly one, is that perhaps not actually a description of Jesus himself? Is he perhaps the heavenly tabernacle? We'll come on to that in later chapters. The Old Testament high priest entered an earthly tabernacle after making appropriate sacrifices, but Christ entered the far greater tabernacle of heaven. Grand though the old tabernacle and what was for them the pre that, their present temple that they were familiar with, grand though they might seem, they were only a pale shadow of the real heavenly one. And thirdly, well, what went on in the tabernacle, what went, what went on in the temple, where there was the sacrificial system, the sacrifices that were made. And so thirdly, the elaborate sacrificial system was also just a preview of the greater once and for all sacrifice of Christ himself on the cross. Now, the next chapters, 9 and 10, especially explain how the tabernacle and the sacrifices of the Old Testament both point towards the greater once and for all sacrifice of Christ. And then fourthly, which is what we're going to focus on today, the old former covenant embedded in the law of Moses is now replaced 
by a far better covenant. And that's what chapter 8 homes in on. Now, the other things, the word shadow is used about the other things. The word shadow is not used so much as the covenant of the covenant, but the, the word obsolete. What was relevant for then has now been replaced by something far better. Now, you may well be thinking, well, this is all very interesting, but what has this got to do with me today? I mean, I, who here this morning, I mean, when you got up this morning, were you tempted to find a, a Jewish priest somewhere who would offer you a sacrifice in uh, a, a non-existent temple um, to fulfill the requirements of an ancient covenant that has long since been laid to rest? And interestingly, has this ancient covenant has even been laid to rest by modern Judaism. Anyone tempted to do that? Anyone tempted to make a sacrifice? You know, take a lamb along somewhere to get it? You know, no? Oh, neither have I. <laughs> so what's the relevance for us? Well, although the temptation that these early Christian be Jewish believers faced are not the kind of temptations we face today, I trust that as we look at our chapter today, we will find sometimes we can be tempted. We can be tempted to go back to the meagre shadows of that old covenant ourselves, although in different ways. And I hope above all, as we explore this chapter, the amazing promises of the new covenant will give us massive encouragement to go on confidently in our Christian walk. Just to sum up, this is Paul now, not the writer to the Hebrews. This is Paul talking about other aspects of, um, of the old Jewish way. He says, these are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So now we're going to come to our chapter and we're going to read it together. Okay, so Hebrews and chapter 8. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I might pause and stop at one or two points as we go through. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the throne of the majesty of heaven. So this is the, the great new high priest who is Jesus, who replaces the old Levitical priesthood and who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the Lord not by a mere human being the first tabernacle was set up by Moses a mere human being this tabernacle is set up by the Lord every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So here's, we've had the high priest mentioned here. We've had the tabernacle, the sanctuary mentioned. And now he mentions the gifts and the sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one, this new, greater priest, high priest. It was necessary for this one also to have something 
to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. He's not here just to join the regular priests now alongside them to offer sacrifices with them. No, this high priest has another greater sacrifice to bring. And it, it doesn't unpack it here. That, that comes in chapter 9. So we've just got to wait for that bit. So if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there were already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the Lord. They serve at a sanctuary that is a, sh a copy and a shadow. There's that word again, shadow, of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as, and this is where we get to it in chapter 8, as the covenant of which he is mediator, is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. <coughs> For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said. Now, just pause at this point. What follows now is a quotation from Jeremiah. If you wanted to check it out, Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. And so... What the writer is doing is he's saying this covenant, this new covenant was promised well, hundreds of years before. And here it is. Basically, there was nothing wrong with the first covenant as a covenant, what was wrong was the people who failed to keep it. You know, do you see what he says there? But God found fault with the people and said, okay, so let's read this bit there. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. In other words, they failed to keep their side. And I, subsequently, turned away 
from them, declares the Lord. So the old one didn't work. The people were faithless and God rejected them, turned away from them. This, verse 10, <coughs> now here we come right to it. This is the commandment I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Interesting. That's the bit that never that didn't change. You go back to the Old Testament when the first covenant was introduced, God said, I'll be your God and you will be my people. And they said, yeah, that's great. We want you to be our God. We want to be your people. And that bit remains the same. God says the new covenant is going to be the same. I will be your God and you will be my people. We'll find out the bit that this changed, though. Verse 11. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And very amazingly, probably within five years of writing this, that was fulfilled. The Romans came and destroyed the temple, destroyed the sacrificial system. The priests were abolished. And 2,000 years later, it remains the same. Now let's see how this old, the, let's first see how the old covenant worked. Now if we study the, the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, study that carefully, you'll find that there were 613 commandments given. Now, these were all distilled into 10, the famous 10 commandments. And the deal was this. God promised he would be the God of the Israelites and they would be his own special people. He would care for them. He would supply all their needs. He would feed them. He would protect them from their enemies. However, there was one big condition. I will be your God. You will be my people if you fully obey my commandments. So the deal went like this, really. If you 
obey me fully, then I will be your God. And there was a corollary to it. If you disobey me, then I will turn away from you. I will reject you. And the story of the Old Testament is the story of how that is actually what happened. Now, the people of Israel, on many occasions over the next 800 years after the giving of the law, they reaffirmed that they were committed to their side of the covenant. Um, They did it with Joshua. They did it with David. They did it with Solomon. They did it with Hezekiah. Many times they said, oh, we failed, but now, from now on, we're going to do better. And yet, time without number, they proved themselves to be totally incapable of obeying God's laws until God's patience and forbearance finally spilled over into wrath. And he used the Babylonians to come and destroy the temple and to take them away into exile. Now, let this sink home to us too. If we are still living under the old covenant, we would be in no better place because we also are constitutionally incapable of keeping God's perfect law. Paul put it like this. I mean, it's a well-known phrase, but we've no doubt heard it before, but he clearly expressed it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? None of us, I mean, in another place he said, for there is none righteous. No, not one. The Israelites of old were a helpless and hopeless case, and so are we without the new covenant. Now, I want to be clear here. The new covenant doesn't water down the law to make it easier to keep. God doesn't say, oh, yeah, it was a bit tough, wasn't it? I was a bit harsh on you. Maybe maybe I should make it a bit easier. We won't have that one. We won't have that law. And and I won't ask you to do that. We'll, We'll just make it simpler for you to keep. In fact, when Jesus came, it was just the opposite. You you read the Sermon on the Mount. When you read Jesus speaking about the law, it becomes even harder. Do you remember what Jesus said? If murder is subject to judgment, now just being angry with someone brings you into the same judgment. If adultery was condemned, it's in the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Now, just looking at someone with lust in your eyes is equally condemned. Oh, man. 
How can we possibly keep this covenant? God's purpose for us remains the same. As he did for the Israelites then, he wants for us now. He wants a people who will live godly and righteous lives. That's what we're called to, friends. We're called to live godly and righteous lives in Christ Jesus. And the standard has just been ratcheted up. It's now even higher. Because he now wants us to conform to the image of his son, Jesus. He wants us to become like Jesus. So God's law is good. It always has been and always will be. And the problem, of, as we've already explained, is not with the law. The problem is with our ability, or perhaps rather our inability, to keep it. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, sometimes I think, oh, if I just try a bit harder, if I exercise a bit more self-discipline, use a bit more willpower, then maybe I can change into a better person. Maybe I can become a better Christian. Or maybe we think, if I, if I pray harder, if I read my Bible more diligently, um, if I fast more often, if I give myself to more good works, then I'll become more Christ-like. Now, these are all good things. But without the new covenant, we're doomed to fail. Just as the ancient Jewish people continually failed. We need the new covenant. It's a brand new legal contract with God. The old one has been ripped up. And the key difference, the key difference, is that it is no longer a two-way contract. Remember, if you go back to the... If you obey me fully, then I will be your God. It's a two-way thing, isn't it? If you do this, then I will do that. As we've already noted, God always kept his side. It was the people who were the irreparable failures. But no, this new covenant is a one-way contract. The success of the covenant now on depends entirely on God. He takes responsibility for it all. In particular, he injects into this new covenant three new terms or promises that absolutely takes into account our default tendency to sin and to disobey the law. So the new covenant takes into account my failure. So let's look now at these three terms or promises and we find them from verses 10 through to 12. The first one in verse 10 
This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, God's law previously was a set of written rules. Now, God's law no longer is an external code of ethics or set of rules, that is some, but is something that is put within us. His law is no longer what we ought to do, but is now what we want to do. Holiness and love become principles that are natural and native to us. Now, the New Testament uses different ways to express this. Paul says, we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, the new has come. So, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have become a brand new creation. You're not the person you were before. He also says, we have been made alive in Christ. Once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been made alive with Christ. Later in that, that's from Ephesians, and later in that passage it says, we are created in Christ Jesus. Key words, in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. See, God wants us to do good works. That's what, we're, that's what our purpose is. But we can only do good works in Christ Jesus. John uh, quotes Jesus in, in John, his gospel, chapter 3. He says, we are born again of the Spirit. Can you see these transformative phrases? A new creation made a life, created in Christ Jesus, born again of the Spirit. James, slightly different, he says, he describes it as wisdom that comes from above. Not earthly wisdom, not from a human source. It comes from heaven. And how is this possible? It's when we put our trust in Jesus as our only Savior and Lord. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the deposit that guarantees our inheritance. Now, a contemporary of Jeremiah, because we're, we're reading a prophecy of Jeremiah, and one of his contemporaries was a prophet called Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, around about the same time as Jeremiah, says something very similar. In, this is in Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Naturally, 
we have a stony heart. But when we put our trust in Jesus, we have, we receive his heart of flesh. And he goes on to say, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, it's God's spirit living in me that moves me, motivates me, gives me the desires to follow and keep God's laws and gives me the ability to do so, to be careful to keep his laws. So, the old Ten Commandments, which, hold on, then that's the this is the first of the terms and promises of the new covenant, God's law within. I've just quoted this one from Ezekiel. Sorry, I should have had that on the screen. Now, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Remember those commandments? In the new covenant, they get turned completely around. From being a command, they become a promise. Thou shalt not. You won't. Because you've got a new heart. Someone put it like this. Because we, we were singing about God's grace earlier. We tend to think of grace as... God's unmerited favour. And that's right, we, th that is. Grace is God's unmerited favour, but it's more. Grace is God freely at work in me to change me. It's wonderful. Grace puts into us what God wants out of us. He doesn't make unreasonable demands or expectations on us. Things we can't perform. No, God's grace does the work in us. Paul said, I am who I am. This is the great apostle Paul. I am who I am by the grace of God. Now, does this happen overnight? Does, do I suddenly become a perfect Christian because I've now received the Spirit of God? No. It's a process. The Bible gives a word to it. It's called sanctification. Becoming more holy. Sorry. Do I become sinless? No. But I definitely will begin to sin less. This is the work that God does in me through the power of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. Paul put it like this, we are all being changed from one degree of glory to another. Now, do you believe this? I still find it hard to grasp. I can still beat myself up when I fail. Do you do that? Can I tell you plainly 
That is the enemy speaking to you. When I'm in my right mind, I absolutely know this, that God is at work in me to will and to do of his good, ple his good pleasure. God is far more committed to me to make me like Jesus than I am. Now, the second new term or promise. Oh, that's in there. What have I done wrong? I've tapped something wrong, Chloe. Please check your connection and try again. Right. I'm, I haven't got it here, though. I don't know what I'm doing. That's <laughs> just my screen's gone blank. Sorry. Ah, we're there. Great. Great. We're on this one. There we are. Okay, so the first clause, the first term, the first promise is this. I will put my law in your minds. I will write my laws in your hearts. Num verse 11, knowing God. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. So the second term is under the old covenant, the people related to God through specially anointed people, through the priests, later through the prophets. And this covenant term that we're now looking at now is that each individual person may have a personal relationship with the Lord from the least to the greatest. He is not only our God, important though that is, but he is also my God. Jesus said this, this is eternal life that they may know you, they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said of himself as a shepherd, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. John the Apostle writes, I wrote to you, little children, because you have known the Father. The one thing every new baby Christian knows, I don't, if you've been a, a, a believer, a follower of Jesus, if you still think of yourself as a baby Christian, the one thing you know is you're a child of God. God is your Father. And however long you've been a Christian, that's still the most important thing you should know. That you have a heavenly Father who knows you and you know him. God sent his Spirit into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. For the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are a child of God. Ask you this question. Big test. Am I a Christian? But do you know God's your Father? 
That is the basic foundation of Christianity. I know God and I know he knows me. And this personal relationship with God as our Father is not earned. I mean, if you think about it, um, how dreadful are the parents whose love for their children is conditional on their good behaviour? If you're, if you're good, I'll love you. <laughs> no, that's not how parenting works, is it? It's the same with God. No, this is God's unconditional love for us freely given as a gift of his grace. It's the basis of our Christian life. And we don't earn it by being good. No, it becomes the foundation of the way that we live. Now, Satan will want to rob us of this joy of knowing God personally. And this is where the third term or the third promise comes in. And the third one is, and we find it in verse 12. God's forgiveness. And this perhaps is the most wonderful. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Oh, lost my notes. Now notice the order. First, God writes his law, and our hearts. We don't become perfect overnight. We grow in our obedience to him. But then, even if we fail in this way or that, he covers us. He surrounds us with his forgiveness. And he remembers it no more. Now this is for today. Today, you're going to fail today. I'm sorry about that. But in some way or another, you're going to fail the Lord today. It's just part and parcel of it. You're, you're going to lose your temper or you're going to think a thought that you think, oh, I shouldn't have thought that. Or I don't know what it's going to be. You're going to give in to something that you shouldn't give in to. Because fail we will. In fact, what, what we so often look at as being hindrances, oh no, oh, I'm so hopeless. Actually, it's only God teaching us. It's the way God teaches us. I mean, just think, parents, when your kids were learning to walk, I mean, how many times did they fall down? And how many times did you go and pick them up and dust them down and set them on their way again before they became confident walkers? I mean, what loving parent's going to get cross with their toddler who tumbles again? That's how God is with us. When we tumble, when we fall, when we go astray, what's his demeanour, what's his attitude to us? Oh, look at you, done it again. What am I ever going to do with you? No. He surrounds us with his forgiveness, with his grace. 
I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, God's purpose for our lives is clearly that we should become more holy, of course. That's why he's written the law in our hearts. And he's guaranteed that we shall stay the course, even when we fail, because his forgiveness covers all our sins and he remembers our sins no more. God forgives and he forgets. So when I say, oh no, God, I've done it again. He says, sorry? Done what again? You see, he's forgotten. He says, he remembers our sins no more. He's forgotten what we kept on doing. We don't forget. That's Satan. He just takes us where we are, as we are, when we are, picks us up, dusts us down and sets us on our way again. How amazing is the grace of God. How amazing is this new covenant in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is to know that I am going to get there and I am going to grow more like Jesus and he's going to welcome me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I know because God has made this new covenant with us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, we're going to find out a bit about how this new covenant works, how Jesus died on the cross, how his blood covers all of our sins, how this one and final sacrifice for sin, which replaces all those shadowy sacrifices of animals right throughout the Old Testament, it was costly on your part to make this new covenant with us. But we do want to thank you so much. And I thank you that uh, it doesn't become an excuse to sin. It becomes a motivation to become more like Jesus in my life. And I pray that for all of us, that we will press on. We will keep going. We will not give up. And we will look forward to the wonderful things that you are going to do in each of our lives in the days to come. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? And as Mandy just starts to play the opening chords, let's each of us renew in our hearts our faith in Jesus with thanksgiving. Let's put our trust in him wherever you are at. Just know this, you are a beloved child of God. You have put your trust in Jesus as your saviour. You have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Whoever you are, from the least to the greatest, you are a child of God. I'm not going to say to you, know the Lord, because you know him. 
and you love him and he loves you. And whatever you've done in your walk as a Christian, wherever you've failed, let me tell you this. Uh, confess it, of course. Of course. Don't try and sweep it under the carpet hoping God won't see. That's ridiculous. Confess it. He forgives. You are a forgiven person. He remembers it no more. Pick yourself up. Keep going. He's with you. Go in peace today. Lord, fill us with your peace. Fill us with your Strip away all the lies, strip away all the untruth, Lord. Fill us with your peace today as we go on to the rest of our Sundays. Father God, be with us. Fill us with your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>